continuing our series, The Watchman, Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come from you to wake up from your slumber. And why I go into that accent, I'm trying to figure that out, but it just seems right. Wake up from your slumber. You know what time it is. You know what time it is. The Kairos. Not a calendar time, but what? A divine time, an opportune time. It comes from the word kairos, comes from the word kairo. I'm referring to the things coming to a head. So it's a time when things are starting to come to a head. It's an opportune time. It's a time to take advantage of. It's a time to be intensely and eagerly awaiting and expecting it is that kind of time, a divine time. Now, some of you may have been like me this past Friday. You watched the inauguration of of our now President Trump. And what you watched there was an interesting thing to me in all kinds of different ways. Obviously, it keeps coming to the forefront of the conversation about what a great democracy looks like where you're able to hand off power peacefully, which I believed was done peacefully. But what I kept thinking was they're handing off the watch. (laughs) They're handing off their watch to the next person. What's interesting, obviously, about being a president of the United States of America is only about a handful of people. I think there's six right now alive that even know what that even means. Isn't that interesting to think you're only one of six people on the face of the earth? And actually, one of them really doesn't know yet (laughs) in that sense, but will. And not only impacts that, that exchange of the watchman, not only impacts his family, impacts his community, impacts his country, it impacts the world. Now, if that's not a kairos, I don't know if I've ever seen one. (laughs) That's not a time and space that stops you. It's a divine time. And you've heard us use it here a lot. It's a game changer. It's a life-altering, time stops, you'll never be the same again kind of moment. You go, yeah, I I will be, but the same. I'm not sure we will be as a culture. Not predicting anything, 
But to act like it's just another day, the January 20th, and we could go back four years, eight years, 12 years, 16 years, you know what I'm saying. But on January 20th in those days, to act like those are just normal days, they're not just normal days. They're just not. To hear Christ lifted up in the way that he was, those who watched it, he was lifted up. At least from six different people. Six, six, that's how you do it, right? Six different people. A divine time. Matthew 26, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Jesus in the garden with his inter, in, inner circle, his three. He goes to the garden and he asks them to do one thing. Well, he asked it too, to pray, to keep watch, though. The main thing was to keep watch. Boy, they fall asleep, and he comes back, and he asks the question, could you not keep watch? And in verse 41, tells us the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Again, the battle, even here we are, January 22nd, the battle, even in your own life, where. Your intentions are good on your resolutions, but the body is weak. Your intentions were right. You come here today, for the most part, most of you, I would say, believers in Christ, for the most part, wanting to do what's right. If you were asked the question, your spirit in you says, I want to do what's right, but however you live in this body that is inclined not to. That has been, you live in a culture that pushes you not to be inclined that way. Could you not keep watch? And the term watch here means to give strict attention to, to be cautious, active, alert, and vigilant. And again, as we said last week, if we found out today, if we got a notice over the news or whatever that, that all police officers, firemen, medical staff, maybe even weather, weathermen and weather women and the military, we're all going to take the next day off, I think it would make most of us nervous. If they decided for the next 24 hours, I'm just not going to be on watch. Most of us in this room would go, I'm a little concerned about that. (laughs) Because we know there is a force and there is an enemy that is fighting against us. I don't mean talking about our culture. Specifically, even though that's the case. We've got people inside of our culture who are fighting against us. But even greater, there is an enemy. We believe, as as Christians, that is causing that to be the case. But so there's a great enemy. We don't want to go to sleep tonight if the watchmen are not on the wall, right? We don't want to do that. So to be on watch. In the ancient days, as we referred to last week, and... Theirs was being on the wall at night. And the Hebrew word for for being on watch or watchman that was used in Scripture, it literally means to lean forward. It means to be leaning forward, to be peering into the distance, to be trying to see who's coming. It could be a messenger of good news. That's great. It could be a storm on the horizon needing to warn people. But one of the major things they're looking for is what? The enemy. The enemy. (sighs) 
The whole idea of watchmen really has been around for, for, since the beginning of time. We see in Genesis that Adam was God's watchman. The earth was his assignment. It was under Adam's charge. It was under Adam's care. Adam was a watchman. Genesis 2.15 says this. It says, Then the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The word keep here in the translation of the Hebrew means to guard or to protect, to, to watch closely. It's the primary word that's actually used for watchmen throughout Scripture. Adam, again, was literally God's watchman on earth. Now, we will talk more next week about how the watchman gets himself in trouble. As we see that, obviously, we've, if, if you believe the story of Adam and Eve, we understand that the watchman can go to sleep, right? And not pay attention. Psalm 8, 1 through 9 says, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the path of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 6, you have given dominion. Literally means manager, steward, governor, watchman. And no serious student of Scripture would argue, I don't think, that, God, that Adam was God's representative here on earth. He was the one that God put in place for this thing to all work out. But what does it actually mean to represent someone? Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians eleven seven. he said, humankind is the glory of God. And the word glory there is the word doxa. Dutch Sheets talks about it. It says that when it, it docks, it means it's that which causes someone or something to be recognized for what it really is. What it is saying is, when he talks about us being the glory of God, saying God should be recognized in humans. We could even talk about the Shekinah glory. I won't get too far off the path here today. Why is that the case? So humans could accurately represent God. The dictionary, that sheets goes on to say, the dictionary defines representation as to present again. Another way to might say it is represent someone. To exhibit the image, the counterpart. To actually even speak and act with authority on behalf of. To be a substitute or an agent. 
Have you ever thought about how you represent your family to other people? Have you ever thought about how you represent, say, Renovation Church, you attend here, and wherever you are out there, you say, I go to Renovation Church. Have you ever thought about the fact that you represent who we are as a church wherever you are? You represent who you are as a family wherever you are. You represent, most of all, the kingdom wherever you are. You represent it. I would say it's not a small task for any of us to represent God. So what did God do to help Adam along the way? Genesis 1.27 says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man. Male and female, he created them. The word image here is actually the the term you would find is an illusion. In other words... And as illusion is something you think you see, but at closer observation, you actually go, oh, it's not quite what I thought it was. See, the rest of creation said all that to say this. The rest of the creation was supposed to look at Adam. They were supposed to do a double take. I thought I saw God. Oh, oh, it's just Adam. Oh, 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 there's Oh, it's just Adam again. Oh, it's Eve. He was a watchman. Representing God is almost an illusion that when people, when when creation looked at him, it's as if they were looking at God. It was put under his charge. It was put under his care as a watchman. What if people saw you that way? What if you saw yourself that way? <laughs> that as I get up every day, I'm not just don't have my own agenda. I don't just have my, I'm a, I can guarantee you if you go into, if you work for a company and you're sent somewhere, you get in your mind real quick. I'm here to represent that company, not my family, not necessarily. I'm here to represent who sent me. And I hope I know enough about it, especially if they ask questions and they watch me and observe me, that I represent my company well. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He said, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all. Then those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, again, what's the question you ask when you see it? Therefore you ask, what's it? Therefore, so, okay, so we see that. So everything that was before, Paul states it, and he says, therefore, since you understand these things up above here in Scripture, I just wrote to you, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave 
the, us the ministry of reconciliation. If you have a Bible and you've got a pen and you feel comfortable doing it, or you've got it on your tablet, wherever it is, and you want to highlight, Christ gave, and get, who reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciled the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors or his representers. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. An envoy, an ambassador, a representative, secretary of state. And what is our message? It's great news. Reconciliation. And see, I know when I say that here, it's going... Oh, I thought it was going to be a better word. I thought you'd have something more powerful to say there, Kurt. I don't. That's great news. That's great news. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I don't know what your feet look like, but if you start bringing the message of reconciliation, they get real pretty real quick. That's your message. To be reconciled to Christ. And to be reconciled to others. He's making his appeal as if you're a conduit. He's making his appeal through you. But I need a, I need a more catchy. I need a more, I need a, I need a bigger. That is the vision. Is Reconciliation. If in your heart, where whatever relationship it is, with God or with others, if in your heart reconciliation is not at the top of the list, you need to go rewrite your list. That is the message of the good news. We were once an enemy of God. But now he calls us friend. See, I believe with all my heart we as Christians really have the answers to the cries of the human soul. I would not do what I do if I did not believe with all my heart that the answer for the human soul is the answer being reconciled to Christ and through that and through the power of the Holy Spirit He reconciles us to each other. That's the message. Some of you may need to leave here today. 
Not yet. We'll be done in about 20 minutes. But You may need to leave here today and make a phone call. You may need to leave here today and go knock on a door. And your heart is, let us be reconciled. I don't have another message for you. Can you imagine the peace process and the ambassadors and envoys around the world when people showed up and go, let us be reconciled? Because reconciled is not about me. Reconciled is about the hope of reconciliation. It's about him, and it's about them, and I get to be the conduit. As you said last week, though, one of the biggest challenges we have in our culture and one of the biggest challenges we have in our churches, most people don't even know that they've been called to be a watchman. They don't even know what wall to go walk on, to stand on if they did, and they wouldn't know how to identify the enemy if he came and slapped them in the face. So we've got an issue, don't we? They don't know that they've been called to be on a watch, be on watch and be the watchman. They don't even realize that if I was called, I don't even know what wall to be standing on, and if I did have a wall, what would I be looking for? Does that seem to be an issue? Does that seem to be that could be a big, big, big issue? As we read last week in Isaiah 56, and we won't pull the scripture up, but Isaiah 56, what does God, he tells the Israelites, I'm going to restore you, but let me tell you something. I've got an issue with your watchmen. He literally uses the word watchman. I've got an issue with your leaders. They're blind. They're ignorant and they're mute. They're like a worthless watchdog who never barks. I don't know about you, but if there's watchmen on the wall, the last thing we need is them to be blind because they're supposed to be watching. That's the whole concept. It's <laughs> looking. If the guys and the gals on the wall are blind, in other words, and here's what I mean by blind, they don't know what to look for. See, I believe spiritual watchmen have spiritual eyesight. They see things way before other people see it. I've told people before, one of the hardest things about being in, in leadership even is sometimes you see things way before other people see them and you have to explain what you see. And things that are kind of in a mist, in a fog. <laughs> it's difficult. If people don't trust you, it's difficult, right? Again, a watchman in the kingdom has to have a unique capacity to see. A supernatural sight. We all have natural sight. Not everybody. I realize some people lose that. I shouldn't say it that way. But... For the most part, we do, but a supernatural ability to see. Mute, ignorant. And what this means is you've got to have spiritual discernment. You can't have spiritual discernment without wisdom that comes from the Almighty. Can't do it. Can't do it. 
So spiritual discernment, to have sight and to have knowledge. The word Hebrew word there for knowledge is the word yada, which I like. I don't know why I like that. It sounds cool. I love the way it defines it. It's to recognize, it's be, to be thoroughly acquainted with, to recognize by sight, hearing of certain signs, and to know accurately. Mom and dad, if you're raising children in your home, you need to have spiritual discernment. And you need to know how to know the difference between the enemy and the ally. And that means you've got to work at it. That means you're going to have to step. This day and age, used to, you could tell them apart easier. You can't today. You can't tell me that an ally, that you call an ally to a 14 or 15-year-old smartphone and let him be or her be in her room at night by themselves. You cannot call that an ally. Ally in certain situations, yes. But as we talked about last week, as Nehemiah would say, we've got to figure out a way to close the exposed places in the wall. Mute. Unfortunately, in our culture today, there's way too many people willing to be silent. In our homes, in our elected officials, in our pastors. But let me say this. There's a difference between being bold and having courage. Courage, as I think McManus says, courage is not the absence of fear. The courage is, at, is the absence of self. In boldness, the way we define it here is to live or tell the truth for the common good, even at personal risk. To live and tell the truth for the common good, even at personal risk. But you can't do it without sight and, and knowledge, though. See, there's, we've got to tie all these together. You can have one. You, know, you can have the right message, but the wrong messenger. Stood there Friday praying. I did. I just was praying over that as I was watching it on TV. And, and, and President Trump was, was, was giving his speech. And I had, been pray, I, was going, I had been praying the same prayer I'd been praying over President Obama and President Bush and President Clinton. I've been praying for years for our president. I want the best for them. I want the best for our country. I want God's wisdom to be instilled in them. I want them to be the best parents and the best fathers. I, that, that's my desire for them. I don't care what party they're in. That's my desire for them. But I've started praying for President Trump the other day because of what I read last week in, in Ezekiel 50, I mean Isaiah 56. Lord, give him sight to see what he could never see before. Give him wisdom and discernment that he never ever even thought he could even have before. Give him boldness, but not. And you know, and I'm, and I'm referring back, and you're going you, some of you going to get offended by this, but I'm going to refer back to what we talk about here. Bluntness is not boldness. And wherever you think you got that from, go tear that sheet out and throw it away. Bluntness, I think, in many times is a form of insecurity and a form of intimidation. 
Boldness is about inspiration. I am willing to risk for the common good to tell the truth. Well, to risk my reputation. I'm willing to risk my business. That's boldness. Not cocky, not arrogant, not blunt. But you try to do that without wisdom and discernment and without great spiritual sight, I'll let you decide what ends up happening then. So where are we supposed to be on the wall? Let's go through this real quick. You can write it down. I don't have it up on the screen. Number one, the first place you need to be on the wall is over your heart and soul. That's the first place. Individually and personally, you need to be watched over your heart and soul. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. But here's the fact. More lives are ruined by this one thing, failing to guard the heart, more than all failures to protect other material things combined. You can quit guarding your car and your marriage still stay great. You can quit buying insurance, and I'm not saying don't buy insurance. That's not what I said. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is you can quit protecting all those, but if you protect your heart and soul, that's how you tell your family how much you love them. Really, it is. You want to tell your family and your children and your spouse or your friends or if you're single, whatever it is, you want to tell them how much you love and appreciate them, take care of your heart and soul. It doesn't say when you get around to it. It says above all else. It's at the top of the list and there's nothing gets close to it. Second place, where you're engaged and influential. See, I believe wherever you go every day, there are people waiting, and you may not know it, but they are watching for you to represent Christ to them. To give them a glimpse of what the kingdom, living and active, looks like. First place, you're on the wall of your home. Again, from single to married, and everywhere in between. It is, parents, I would just ask you if that's the case, or if you're a sibling who has younger siblings specifically. Can they count on you to live this thing out? Can they count on you? Is it helping those within your family to frame reality through the prism of the kingdom of God? Let me say this. If you're inconsistent about this, they will look somewhere else to frame that reality. In your works and in your schools, I don't care whether you're a teacher or a lawyer or a contractor or a fireman or a business owner or a homemaker, janitorial to CEO, it really doesn't matter. People in all these places need to see the reality of God made real with an anointing, an anointing. That is unexplainable apart from the supernatural. They need to see it. They just need to see it. You're on the wall. You've been put on the wall. 
You're on the wall, and you're on watch. About the walls of our society. Read to you a while ago, or quoted a while ago, Isaiah 56, where God is, he is raking the watchman over the coals for them being blind, ignorant, and mute. But Isaiah 58, he doesn't hold anything back either. Here we go. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout loud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its gods. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want me to hear them. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? I love that line. We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourself. Yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress up in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from your relatives. Someone just went, oh my gosh. No, do not, do not hide from your relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. I love this. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will, lead you, godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from the behind. You want to know who your rear guard is? It's God. You need to start living in there. He's got you. he got you covered. It's all around. he got you covered. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water where you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an everlasting spring. Boy, I love that vision. I don't know if you can get it, but that, this everlasting spring. What does Jesus say? If you come to know him and you accept him, there's this wellspring of life bubbling up from within you. It's, it just goes hand in hand. I know I'm getting fired up about this. I love this. Some of you will rebuild the desert ruins of your city. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer, a renovator of homes. Keep the Sabbath day only. Don't pursue your own interest on that day. And he's talking about faith here because and we can get into a whole different conversation in margin. But enjoy the Sabbath and speak of the delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Drops the mic, walks out. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like a drop the mic? Kind of, I have spoken, boom. 
We have a great responsibility to our culture. The repairer of broken walls. Do you know any families that need repaired? Do you know any lives that are so messed up that need the message of reconciliation back to him and then back to other people? We cannot hand off to the government what only the church can do. Can I say that again? We cannot hand off to the government what only the church can do. And I realize it's not a problem to get cozy with the government and do some things with the government, but we've always got to be, I think we're better as resistance, and I don't mean that as in in, in marching in the street or vigilante resistance, but I think there's a check that we are supposed to be a part of. We're part of the check the church is in a culture. And sometimes when we get too cozy to the government, we lose. I could talk more about that on other subjects, but... I love what Philip Yancey says. A state government can shut down stores and theaters on Sunday, but it cannot cure. And, and, and Sunday, but it cannot compel worship. It cannot arrest. It can arrest and punish KKK murderers, but cannot cure their hatred, much less them love. It can pass laws making divorce more difficult, but cannot force husbands to love their wives and wives their husbands. It can give subsidies to the poor, for, but, but cannot force the rich to show them compassion and justice, justice. It can ban adultery, but not lust, theft, but not covetousness, cheating, but not pride. It can encourage virtue, but not holiness. Can you imagine a government being run by the Sermon on the Mount? Just try it. Just try it. But we must, and we are called, I believe, to become the champion of the people. That's the other wall we're supposed to be on. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus. He got out in the dirt and he wrote. And he spoke for those without a voice. The most vulnerable in our culture. The poor. The unwed pregnant teenagers. I think it's on our watch. Millennials, as much as you may complain about this or that, they're on our watch. The millennials, you are in there too. You've got a watch. You're on a wall. You're called as a representative, as an ambassador to stand on that wall. But the awesome thing about that is you're not a silent watchman. You're not a spectator watchman. You're in the game watchman with a message of great news, the message of reconciliation. As I shared with the Uncommon group earlier this morning, I'll ask your sign down to come back up. As I shared with the Uncommon training group this morning, it was awesome. We had about, I don't know, 40 to 50, and there's some more, and we're going to be a part of it. And if you still want to be a part of it, email the office and we can get you set up. But... I told him my favorite part about the inauguration, and there was a lot of things that, there were six different clergy, if you will, that came, religious people that came and spoke, there's my count. Five of them more from a Jesus bent, if you will, 
from Catholic to Protestant. And there was one rabbi who spoke. But I love his quote, and I looked it up, and I just want to read it for you this morning. Dispense justice for the needy and the orphan, for they have no one but their fellow citizens. And because a nation's wealth is measured by her values, not by her vaults. Because a nation's wealth is measured by her values, not by her vaults. Wake up from your slumber. You know what time it is. See, for some of you this morning, it was bad news. That I told you that you're an ambassador. Most people would go, man, there's people standing in line to become ambassadors of the United States of America. You're the ambassador for the holy nation. (laughs) The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's you. You represent him every day if you would just do it. But you know what? You might need to find out what he's asking you to represent. Oh, I just thought coming to church and just coming to church was enough. No. Or claiming that I believe that God is. Faith is more than believing that he is. The word says that the That the demons believe that and shudder. It's not enough just to believe it's correct. Faith without actions, James says, is nil. (laughs) You've got a great calling on your life. A great, I don't care if you're 12 or 92 and everything, I don't care if you're five or two. A great calling. You were designed for something beautiful. But it's embracing this ambassadorship with this message of good news, of reconciliation. On every wall you've been posted on, and you have been. We'll talk more next week about why people don't want to stand on that wall and why it's so difficult. We'll talk more about that next week. But I just want you to know you've been posted. You've been posted. Would you stand? Thank you for being here today. We're going to sing again as we close. You know that we, you can come down front and pray. Last week's a beautiful sight around these altars. and They're always open for you to come and pray as God leads you today. Some of you today, I do believe, in a room this size and this many people, need to leave here today 
And if it means skipping dinner on the grounds, if that's what it means, I hope it does, and I hope you come. But if it means skipping that because the urgency of what God has put in your heart to go be reconciled is so real. I ask that you do that. Lord, help us. Help us to know the walls we've been posted on and understand them and be able to recognize the enemy. First, to recognize we've been called to be on the wall. Recognize what walls? And be able to recognize the enemy. Lord, we just pray that you would help us today. As if some maybe even be prompted in this room right now, your spirit is nudging, it's poking. And there's a face and a name came across their mind's eye saying, no, there needs to at least be the request of, let's be reconciled. Good news. Lord, be with our fellowship afterwards. We thank you so much for the opportunities we have here. Lord, we pray this in your powerful name. Amen.